DocDocGo is a search engine that claims to collect no private user data. It is estimated that 2.4% of search queries in the United States come from this search engine. I'm Lee Levy, co-founder of Nanato Media and author of Beyonce Habla Español, How Lawyers Win the Hispanic Market. And this is In Camera Podcast, where we believe users are not against sharing data. They just want more control over it. Our podcast private legal marketing conversations grace welcome to 2022 how are you good how are you i'm doing good grace we made it 2022 this is the third year that we are recording a podcast started it in 2020 and as a matter of fact i really wonder whether the first episodes even though they got published on 2020 whether we recorded them in 2019 can you imagine that we've stretched this project for that length of years already? I'm surprised. It doesn't yeah. feel that long. <laughs> <laughs> it really, it, it really, really, really doesn't. But it's great to be back. Very, very excited for the new year. And I know it's kind of like lame to say that you're excited about a new year and stuff. But I will tell you a few reasons why I am very hopeful about 2022. Number one, I really feel that even though right now we are on a shitstorm when it comes down to the whole Omicron situation, I think we are very close to the end of this pandemic kind of like having control of a lot of our lives. And so that makes me very, very hopeful. And I also think that because of that, 2022 is going to be a year where we're going to be able to make better transitions into things that are actually good and beneficial, not because we are being forced to it, but because it actually makes more sense. It's going to be a time of realization that, hey, you know what? Certain things actually can work based on these new practices that we've learned during the pandemic years. So, um, yeah. I don't know if that was the right uh, topic to set the tone for this conversation, but it it was about hope, not about the pandemic. So that's me. What about you, Grace? How do you feel this first week of 2022? Uh, you know, it's funny because you and I were talking about it before we even started the podcast. And, you know, it's, I do feel slightly overwhelmed, but I at the same time, I feel what you're feeling, which is hopeful because I feel like people are kind of coming out of the shadows you know, regardless of what's going on to a degree, right? Where it's, we're trying to take control of our own lives and our own destinies, um, knowing what we know now about the, the pandemic and different things. But yeah, 2022 to me feels hopeful, feels very, you know, like it's going to be something different. Um, whether it is or not, you know, I, I don't know, but I do feel hope and I feel positive um, because we've dealt with it this long so far. And um, I feel like, you know, people around me and all of us are trying to work towards a common goal of let's get rid of it or at least learn how to live with whatever we have to live with so that we can go back to as normal possible of life. 
Yeah, yeah, and and so and for me, it's it's all about that, right? The 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 normal part of it. I'm very encouraged about how, in general, the industry has been able to adapt to remote working, to adapt technology, and to get really good at it and efficient, right? I think initially it may have been very painful, but I think uh, at this point. Uh, it, it's no longer about kind of trying to get caught up with productivity. It's it's about setting up a new benchmark uh, altogether. And that I think it's really encouraging, but at the same time is also compensating, finding the right ways to compensate for what, when you are working and collaborating remotely is being taken away, both from the internal aspect of it, the internal human relations, and then of course, the ones that are front facing towards your, your, your clients, your community. So all of that is going to have to be fine tuned again, to make sure that you're not, you're not missing out on one of those things. This is a little bit abstract conversation, Grace. So why don't we get into things that are a little bit more objective because, you know, it's been almost two weeks since we last recorded an episode here at In Camera Podcast. And things have happened, Grace. And there is news. I'd like to start with one. This is personal. So, Grace, you know what? I received the news earlier this week that we got a spot at the National Trial Lawyer Summit, and we will be exhibiting there. And I'm super excited because it's an event that we were at this year. We we exhibited there and it was fun and it was really, really interesting to attend the conferences. And so I'm so much looking forward to seeing you there. That's right. You know us, we always got to have something or somebody or something that we're going to do. And uh, actually, yeah. uh, I told you before, but uh, I don't think it, we've really mentioned it to anyone. And we just recently are looking for approval on the posts themselves. So I will tell everybody here for the first time, um, there's been a little bit of rumors. And those of you that know us, we did Danica Patrick for the whole persistence persisting. And That's right. Time, I have a picture. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, this time, guess who we're going to have? It's another extremely persistent individual, and that is John McEnroe. Yep. A little bit of a background who John McEnroe is. So John McEnroe, for those of you who don't know, is a pretty famous, at least especially in his time, tennis player. So he was known for um, basically taking over the court. And in his day, especially in his prime, he was a, excuse the language, a badass. You know, I mean, he just took that court and ran and he, there was no, if he was no losing with this guy, you know, if he lost, he was going crazy nuts and, you know, just super competitor. Um, he's actually the nicest person. Um, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to speak with him a little bit and he is super nice and super wonderful. Um, so I'm excited about him being there and, you know, kind of being our influencer and representing persist group. That's great, Grace. And you are already putting into effect one of the predictions that we've had for 2022, right? Which is um, influencer marketing. Yeah, just being a great strategy to take on. So one of the things that we want us to start our conversation with today is DuckDuckGo desktop browser. Here is the point. Last year, particularly, um, was a year of a lot of awareness about privacy, the whole conversation about cookies and them no longer being seen as, if you may, very ethical way of 
doing digital marketing and such. So privacy became pretty much at the center of all of this. And so what does it mean, the arrival of a browser uh, app for DocDocGo? It's basically, A, making it easier for people to be able to use this platform. And I will tell you that when we are seeing the sources in analytics for our clients' websites from where they're being found, there are people who come from DuckDuckGo. It's a, it's, it, it's a single digit percentage and usually on the low and sometimes not even a percentage, depending how big the traffic is for the account. But there is people who use this. I mean, there's people who are aware of it and they use it. And the thing about it is that uh, DuckDuckGo, it doesn't cost you. You have you don't have to pay a membership for it like you do for apps like uh, Niva, which we talked about recently. And it looks like Niva is also, as of now, taking a little bit more of a mobile-centered approach to mm-hmm. their platform. But... Ultimately, you know, it's gonna get to desktop as well, and it's gonna it's, it's it's gonna also get market share from there. You know, as you said, uh, privacy has been a big problem, right, for advertisers, users, everybody, honestly. And then when um, the iOS decided to also make it harder for advertisers to see your individual data, um, and then on top of that, you know, even before that, GDPR, right? We're we're not really um, as involved in that and that is you know the that has to do more with the eu and um, the other side of the world but with all of that i feel like DuckDuckGo is is trying and it will succeed to a point just like any other one of these that will make it privacy centric um but like you said it's single digits right so i don't yeah. see anything happening anytime soon if ever in terms of taking some market share from Google because it's Google. I mean, maybe DuckDuckGo as a standalone may not, but collectively uh, between DuckDuckGo and what Niva, Niva is coming with a little bit more of strength. And obviously they're taking a different approach by making it a membership uh, platform. And with that comes a promise of a better experience that is not just limited to privacy, but potentially to other things. And so I think that's going to be very compelling. I don't think that there is enough of an incentive in privacy for people to want to pay for something that many of them actually do appreciate, which is targeted ads, right? I I think despite the fact that, um, you know, when you're being presented that little pop-up box on your phone asking you if you want to allow the app to get data from you so they can serve you better ads. It almost sounds like a, like a no-brainer, no, like why would I want to give you my data, right? Like that sounds like a, the wrong thing to do. But uh, ultimately, the experience of actually getting presented things that are useful to you, it's not, it's, it, it's not uh, unappreciated, right? So I think, you know, the whole consent side of, things is going to have to be reworked in a way to make it more compelling for the user 
to want to want to want to share data because I don't necessarily see that users are completely against being exposed to advertisers. I think it's more about uh, how much control they have over the data, the the data that is getting shared, as opposed as to a totally no or a totally yes, right? And so I think that's that's one of the equalizers that it's gonna have to get fine tuned here in 2022 to try to go back to uh, my opening statement. <laughs> so Grace, yeah, that's DuckDuckGo, but definitely it's gonna be very interesting to keep an eye on what's happening there. Again, these uh, privacy center platforms have been very much focused on desk on mobile devices initially, but it's interesting to see them transition into the desktop world. And again, comes back to the fact that we are now in a place where we are no longer seeing ourselves not relying that much on desktops because we're now spending a lot of time in our homes. Our offices are in our homes uh, for many of us. And so desktop is getting used to way more than it was a couple of years ago. So it's, um, you know, that that mentality also needs to shift up to a certain extent. It's not 100% just mobile now. Usage of desktop has been increasing. Now, uh, last thing, because I do think it's funny here, it says that DuckDuckGo say that their market share in the United States in search is 9%, but right next to it, there is an actual stat from Statista that says that it's actually 2.5. So talking about inflating numbers, right? But I mean, again, there is certainly a room in the market for privacy-centered search. Grace, ready to move on to another update? Yeah, let's go. <laughs> let's go. And this one is about Meta. And I know nobody uses Meta. Facebook is going to be removing some sensitive targeting options in just a matter of weeks, Grace. So we've all known that Facebook had become the most powerful advertising platform because of its segmentation capabilities. And it has been scaling back, back, backwards, those capabilities over the past years because of that, because of moral and ethical issues, right? And that is why, again, we've been talking a lot, and particularly when we did our roundup of predictions and such for this year, the acquisition of your database, of really knowing who is visiting your site, I think it's going to come down to that. Really knowing very well uh, your demographics, uh, so you can basically figure out your buyer persona by, by a segmentation that is more traditional, per se, in terms of uh, gender, age group, um, income level, geographical location, that sort of thing. Because here are some of the things that are going away, Grace, okay? Health causes, lung cancer awareness, World Diabetes Day, chemotherapy. These are not things that you're going to be able to target. Grace, I mean, thank God. You know, I, I, I totally get it that there's a lot of people out there that feel that they can, that they can actually... Um, Target these people uh, and 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 do positive things for them, but it 
it can also be used for very, very, very bad things, right? I mean, you're really targeting if you're people that when they're at their worst. Um, and if someone starts trying to take advantage of someone who is going undergoing chemotherapy, I mean, it's not acceptable, right? Not acceptable. So definitely, definitely, you know, I see this, particularly this one being an issue for masters. And one thing that we've learned over the years when it comes down to marketing to master's grades is obviously making sure that you are keeping your audiences not as narrow. Uh, there, there needs to be a lot of awareness. And it really comes down to the, the particular master that you're working about. That's why we, every time that we talk about a new master or so, we always do an analysis as to, okay, how would you go about segmentation there? But because masters, for the most of them, require a significant amount of, of awareness, I don't necessarily see these uh, health causes targeting option being removed necessarily being uh, an issue. But it can be, it can be when you're going for some particular um, uh, masters that call for a very particular type of treatment, you can no longer target it as an interest, right? Now, um, sexual orientation, that's out. Religious practices and groups, so Catholic, Catholic Church, Jewish holidays. So it's interesting, right, Grace? Because before, so they basically, interests as a targeting option is really what's getting targeted here. Because before this, before this, you could have not targeted people because of their religion faith or because of their sexual orientation. But... You could do you you were still able to do it through interests, right? And so that is what is being more regulated now. And then there's political beliefs, social issues, costs, organizations, and figures. So going back to what I was saying, you need to um most importantly be able to build audiences based on data that you already have. People who have already interacted with you, with your site, who have taken and completed actions that are of value for you, and then use that to find more users that meet some of those same criteria. Yeah, I mean, especially since, you know, we deal with mass towards heavily. This is something that, you know, it's it's always a cross between, you know, too much and not enough. But for me, I agree with you in the in the sense that I don't think people should you know, it's their privacy, right? It's um, personal information, particularly when someone has cancer or something like that. And, you know, I, I, I agree with you. I don't think that um, that's something that should pop up. You know, that's super personal, identifiable information that, you know, if, if someone's super motivated, it's funny because that's kind of what I was reading about the cookies and, you know, a little more in depth on, on the whole privacy situation with, um, you know, Google versus DuckDuckGo versus all these other ones. And what I keep seeing is that, you know, Google is the only one that has this thing called uh, Flowock. Um, it's basically, it's just a, a third-party cookie uh, thing that allows the aggregation of not specifically identifiable data. Yeah. However, if somebody was truly motivated, they could extract personally, potentially personally identifiable data from that. So I, I agree with you. You know, I mean, I do feel like this is some stuff that, that there's a reason it's HIPAA protected. You know, there's a reason these things are, 
you know, in place to protect the individual. And, you know, I, I, I mean, I really don't know what else to say about that. My father's disabled. So, you know, I wouldn't want somebody finding that information specific to him online anywhere. So I just think about yeah. me personally. Right. Or target them for uh, reasons that are not, um, you, you know, yeah, totally, totally, totally. So, and, and that's grace. That's that, that, in my opinion, that's kind of like where we are heading in the way that we're marketing. I think, you know, the last 10 years, they were a real learning cycle of the power of digital marketing and how can it be used. And we kind of like learn the good and the bad and the ugly. And, you know, we're humans and there's still a lot of learning to be done here. And there's here a lot of mistakes that are going to be made. But I think we are better aware that there is a lot of value in building more sustainable connections with the people that we want to serve and that want, that we want to cater. It's not just about finding them the second and the moment that they need us. Yes, that's, you know, amazing. But what's even more valuable than that is being known before they get to that point is being known to them because of the other great things that you're doing. And it's ambitious. Yes, it requires work and such, but so does it require, I mean, it, it also requires a lot of work and effort to, to stay top of the page in Google, right? For high intent search keywords, whether it's on paid on or organic. And so it's very important to have a good balance of, yes, I want to be known by the keywords that I want to be known for, but at the same time, I want to be known because we are, we are, we're good people that care about other people in our community, right? Whether we are the number one or number two listing to show up on the search results page, whether it's organic or whether it's on so. And, and as, as I said, I know this is not something that is achieved overnight. But I do think that it's an approach that needs to be taken now more than ever. It can no longer be a game of let's just do digital. Let's just let's just stay online and, and forget about the offline world. Grace, we have one last thing to talk about, which is about online advertising, because at the end of the day, it's great. It works. And don't forget that online advertising is not just about uh, Google Ads pay per click search uh, network, there is also a lot of brand awareness to be done, whether you're going to do it over social media, whether you're going to do it through uh, display advertising, or um, if you're going to be doing it through YouTube, which is social media, but it's very unique as a platform. So Grace, in this occasion, we're going to talk about how to create the perfect display banner. And I know everyone's a little bit like, does that exist? Can you actually have a great display banner? Well, we're going to find out. Display banners, right? A lot of people question themselves. Do they work? Are they effective? They are effective for what they're meant to be, which is awareness and potentially help you capture top of the funnel leads. Grace, let's explain a little bit what is a top of the funnel lead because 
this can get a little bit technical for someone who's not necessarily familiar with marketing terminology. What is top of the funnel? Top of the funnel has to do with the flow of an individual through the journey from beginning to end with your firm and to or your company. Let's make this easy. Top of funnel mm -hmm. is usually brand awareness, meaning you're right. not necessarily going to be expecting conversion from something that happens at the beginning of the life cycle yep. of a client or a potential client. A hundred percent. So top of the funnel means that you're talking to people that are not, they, they, they don't need your services right now. They just don't. They may, but we we start from the from the from the standpoint that they they do not. Now, they do meet with certain criteria that it's of value to you because that makes them likely to maybe need your services some point down the road. And so, top of the funnel advertising may seem like, oh, why would you do that? Well, we've been doing it for ages and it's been very effective. Right, uh, TV, radio advertising, billboards, that's top of the funnel advertising. You're talking to an audience that is meeting with certain demographic criteria that are important of you. You want to make sure that if you're going to be running TV ads, well, you're doing it on shows where an audience that is likely to, for instance, if you're a personal injury lawyer, of age of driving, right? So um, that's basically what your top of the funnel campaign is going to do. It's going to help you um, generate more awareness about your brand. And doing it on digital platforms is a great way of doing so because it actually gives you even more ability to segment who is the audience that are going to be seeing this. So instead of necessarily making it very, very, very top of the funnel, you can do something that it's right in the middle. You can actually create a segmentation based out of uh, behavioral patterns. So let's just go through what are some of the qualities that a strong display visual should have. And just to set up the record here about what is it that we are talking about a display ad, we're not talking about one that necessarily has an emotion in it. Um, it's a static image. So let's let's start with how a great display ad static image can look like grace what's the first thing that it needs to have so the first thing that an ad needs to have right we're going to start from the top right mm -hmm. is the clear logo placement and honestly you know i cannot emphasize this enough where you put who you are is beyond important particularly with the small amount of real estate that you have here so make sure that you have clear logo placement at the very top and that your colors are background color is eye-catching and well-branded <clears throat> and you have a clear value proposition. So those three, there's a couple more things that go inside of that, but those are the three main points. When you look at an ad, honestly, you got to think about your, when you review something or if you're going to click on something, if you were going to buy something, are you going to buy something from somebody that there's just a shoe sitting in the middle of the ad? There's no consistency between the color, the placement. I don't know who if, who it's from, if it's DSW, if it's, I don't know any of that because there's no logo, no presentation. You won't. So think about that when you're doing this and use something like this, that a strong top of funnel ad will help you dictate this is how you have to do it. And it's a formula, right? I mean, Liel, it's always about the numbers. So Yeah. You know, number one, clear logo placement helps build brand awareness because this is a top of funnel ad. They don't know who you are, really. That's what you're using this for. 
Background color is eye-catching and well-branded, and you have a clear value proposition, which means a clear action for them to take on this ad. <laughs> um, definitely strong call to action that it's very straightforward, right? Um, call to action is basically the, the button. Now, when you're looking at a, a display banner, the, the whole image is clickable, but it's still good to have an actual rectangle or an oval shaped button somewhere there that actually invites them to take a particular action, right? And you need to think, think, think keep in mind where they're going to go next. So if they're going to go to a landing page, um, a few calls to actions that may work is, of course, a classic, which is, you know, learn more. Read more. There's, I mean, there's, there's, a, depending on what you're trying to get them to do at the top of your funnel, there's quite a few, you know, two word or even one word, depending on what you're trying to achieve with that particular ad button that you can put on there. But to your point, Leo, yeah. you need, it needs to be a button, right? It needs to have some kind right. of feeling, even though the whole ad is clickable, some kind of feeling where they, they're being told to take an action that you want them to take. And it looks like they can take an action with a button. A hundred percent, Grace. And right above that button, you definitely want to have um, value proposition to them. And that and that basically needs to be a benefit, why they should take action, right? Why they should take action. So if your action is learn more, then maybe your value proposition is going to be something around like get the justice you deserve, right? Well, depending the state in which you are, right? I'm not going to say these things are applicable. Some states you can say that, some things you can't, but we'll fight for your right. And so then your CTA can do yes, please, because then it connects to the messaging that you have above. So you definitely want to make your copy to be engaging, interesting, and stand out, but you 100% want to make sure that your CTA is not confusing the user as to what do they mean by that. So Definitely, you know, don't over-conceptualize your call to action because people might just get thrown off. So that's the thing. The last thing I'm going to mention about this description you gave us, Grace, about how a great display ad should look like, which I agree, you pretty much hit uh, the nail in the head. It really uh, covers everything. Is just making sure that, as I've said, you know, your once they click, they're, they're being taken to a landing page. And so make sure that the landing page matches the ad in terms of branding and style and the color palettes that are being used up to a certain extent are also similar and are present in the landing page because that's give that gives you the sense of brand continuation and don't forget about this these leads are very unlikely are very unlikely to convert right there and then. But what you can achieve is that brand recognition is you're having a moment here where you're getting the attention of the user and you can give them enough signs so that they can associate your brand, colors, imagery, logo. So whenever they leave and they go out and about and they are driving and they're seeing your billboard or they're seeing you on TV or they're hearing a radio spot of you, there's something there that they can recognize. So again, the power of branded telephone numbers, the power of taglines, obviously the power of a name of the brand and for it to be prominent. So 
This is a world in which we live, Grace. We're back into really being everywhere. Omnichannel is not just about one single platform because things are not one touch point conversions. Grace, this conversation has been fun and it's just the first in the year. So there is a lot more to come, but we're going to have to stop now and just take some takeaways. Yep. So, you know, I think to me, number one, obviously, is going to have to be about privacy. Yeah. Um, you know what? You know what? Let me back up. Let's start with number one being hope. The hope. Uh-huh, I like that, Grace. Yeah. Hope for 2022. You know, I think yeah. we are all looking forward to that. I think we're all want and feel the need for hope after yeah. so many years of, of problem that we've all experienced as the world together. Yeah. That's that's right, Grace. I couldn't agree with you more. We're super ready yeah. to take back control, keep all of the good stuff that we learned over these past years, and let go let go of those things that have been holding us back. Grace, fantastic takeaway. <laughs> now go on with privacy because I think that is a great takeaway as well. Yes. So number two to me is privacy. Right. I mean, there's there's resources out there for you as a user. There's resources out there for you as a uh, law firm company. And even if you're a vendor listening on here, there are resources out there for you. Okay. So there's different places that you can go and see and make sure that your ads or whatever you're doing, um, if you want more privacy, less privacy, if you want, you know, display advertising, you want this, you want that, there's resources. So Think about yep. privacy as a continuous improvement process. Mm -hmm. And what that means is constantly check and make sure that everything that you have, all your systems, that the settings and the privacy settings and the settings for your users when they land on your website, these are all things that, um, you know, your website developers and uh, people that help you with display advertising or marketing, they can also help you with this. So there are resources out there, um, but stay on top of it because changes like this affect significantly your current ad spend particularly if you're hooked into Google, but it doesn't even matter anymore if you're just hooked into Google, as we can see, right? With DuckDuckGo and NVIDIA <laughs> and, yeah. and and So there's just going to be yeah. more of these. So just make sure that you assess, review, and adjust at least yeah. every six months to a year right now, particularly because I would normally say every year. But right now, I think we need to do it every six months to a year because of everything that's been going on with COVID and people being remote. So many things in privacy have become much more important to a lot mm -hmm. of people and businesses included. So every six months yep. to a year, if you're able to, at least every year, assess, review, and adjust. Yeah, totally. Calibrate. Calibration, Grace. Yes. You, need, you need to rely on not just... Uh, your ability to target people using data that belongs to third parties. You need to be able to also get to your audience by your own means and efforts, right? And I know that it feels well away. I'm paying a platform to get my ads and so and so. So it is my own means and effort. It may seem like that, but it's not necessarily that way. And so we are certainly going through a transition period in here. And it's really important for you to be covered at all ends. So definitely gather your data and 
and, and, and most importantly, shift away from the idea that the digital is just the type of marketing that happens in in one single interaction. It is it has the power of direct response in some circumstances, but it's not necessarily the only way it works. Think of your campaigns more as extended strategies and not just like a week or two weeks or three week uh, periods of time where you're hoping to see results because um, it actually has stages, right? There is this, the, the, the awareness stage, the re-engagement stage, and then you can definitely be looking at conversion stage, but you need to understand it's a journey that requires multiple interactions. Grace, I love this conversation so much. It's hard to finish it up, but I'm not worried because I know we're going to be here next week doing it again because it's 2022. That's right. The hopeful 2022. We have a whole year ahead of us. <laughs> All right, Grace. Well, thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too, Leah. If you like our show, make sure you subscribe, tell your co-workers, leave us a review, and send us your questions at ask at incamerapodcast.com. We'll see you next week.